when you're a little kid and you get ripped out of your house and you see that money has had this impact, your brain starts to go, oh, I need to do whatever I can do to help me gain money because that helps with the stability of my life. We've all had a job at one point where we were handcuffed to that job because we were going, I need this salary. And it's going to be hard to find another job paying me the same amount. And it's all because we had got ourselves into heavy debt and bought too big of a house or too expensive a car. Now you can't change jobs because you're handcuffed by your personal finances. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Sonia Smith-Valentine wants you to be financially fierce. Sonia has an accounting degree and a law degree. She is a CPA and a lawyer, and has worked professionally as both. Sonia has worked for Legal Aid in New York and Maryland, and later started a law practice specializing in consumer debt and bankruptcy, winning cases against credit bureaus, credit card companies, banks, and collection agencies for unlawful activity. Today, Sonia is a financial confidence expert and as president and CEO of Financially Fierce LLC, her mission is to improve the financial acumen of employees and managers to create financially savvy and highly productive workplaces. Sonia joined me from the Maryland, D.C. area to share her personal finance story. funny because my earliest money memory unfortunately isn't a good memory it is I remember unfortunately my mom needing to leave my dad and we literally had to kind of just leave with the clothes we had oh man that's your first experience with with money yeah um not having it right unfortunately I had a, a he's no longer alive but I had a father unfortunately that was very violent And my mom literally snatched me and ran. And we were lucky that some friends of hers put us up. But literally, we had nothing. We left with nothing. Wow. Wow. I remember, you know, those first several weeks of her just trying to even figure out how she was going to put our lives together. You know, where are we going to live? I got to get clothes for my kids. She's got to go to school. Because, I mean, we left everything. There was everything, (laughs) everything. And so that was my first, that's my first memory because I was probably five, six-ish. You're maybe starting school. You're in school already. Yeah, I think I I was in kindergarten. So it had to be at least six. But you had to probably be pulled out of school or you didn't maybe didn't go very far, but just away. Right. I was still, the friend that she went for us to stay with, I was still able to go to the same school while we were there. But literally, you know, my mom realized I've got to find clothes so she can go to school because we left with nothing. (laughs) Really Um, nothing. And were were there social supports uh, at that time? Was there anything in the community? There probably was, but my mom did not reach out for them. She, you know, she had a full-time job. 
I think one of the things that turned out to be a blessing for me and my mom, we come from a very large family. My mother's side of the family tends to, you know, if somebody's in trouble or has an issue, whatever, kind of circle the wagons and let's go help with whatever needs to be done. Okay, um, nice. So it took a little bit, but she got back on her feet and, you know, ended up buying her own house separate from my dad after the divorce and everything like that. But the first memory is, you know, literally running <laughs> with nothing. <laughs> yeah. And so she had a full-time job at the time. Yes. Um, and so she was able to, when, once you were able to get over the hump of not having anything, mm-hmm. it was able to support both of you. Yes. Um, was it just it, you and her? It was just me and her. In the beginning, it wasn't like we went back to the exact kind of life, you know, that we had when it was everybody in the house because... Obviously, she couldn't buy another house. My dad was still in the house that they had bought. Yeah. So we ended up in a one-bedroom apartment, and I shared a bedroom with my mom until I was a teenager. Really? Okay, yep. that long. Yeah. And there was no, like, yeah, there was no conversation about financial support. It was just cut, cut well, it off, no, no, right? my mom, Or was there, my, yeah? I give my mom credit. She, okay. um, during the divorce asked for child support and was awarded child support. Okay, but my okay, dad good. only wrote one check, the very first one. And then nothing. He was just delinquent. Yeah. Do you yeah. know how that works? I mean, uh, you know, spoiler, you're a lawyer, right? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we might spoiler. jump ahead a, a, a little bit and then come back. Um, right. But how, how, are, how is someone able to get away with that? I think for my mom, it had more to do with once the divorce was final, she was just done with him. Yeah, okay. Because um, she could have gone back to court and asked for it to be enforced where they yeah, you yeah. Know, okay. took it out of his paycheck and stuff. But I think she had just mentally was like, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to fight with him. I don't want anything to do with him. I'm just done. And I will figure out a way to make this work. Well, that's what an amazing person. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I give her credit to this day because she never talked bad about him or whatever, even though she probably had all the right to. But sure. she's like, he's your dad. You will have a relationship and you will decide on your own whether, you know, he's good, he's bad, he's not. You want to talk to him, you don't. That will be between the two of you. And we don't have to get into this, but did, did you uh, end up having any kind of relationship with him? Yes, I did. I actually did up until he died. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But what a hard time for you, know, you guys. Yes and no. I'm I'm okay. blessed in that. Although yes, like I said, I shared a room with her. Sure. Yeah. No, but you wouldn't want anyone to go through this, of course. Yeah. No. No. I mean, like I said, yes, we shared a bedroom until I was a teenager. But part of that was because she purposely. So the apartment that we rented was part of a like a two family house. Okay. One, the owners had one part of you know one part of the house and we rented the upstairs that was the one bedroom apartment and part of it was she was determined for me to stay in the same neighborhood school system and not uproot my life by moving someplace where the neighborhood might not have been as great but she could have had a two-bedroom and all of you know all of the space and stuff she thought it was more important that instead of me having my own bedroom, that I was still in the same neighborhood and friends and the school system and that I didn't take a hit in terms of how my life felt. Yeah, and and so her priorities were not, you know, let's get more stuff or space. It was let's have a better experience. 
Right. I think she made the right decision. I think it made a difference for me because I don't think I felt as much upheaval as I might Mm. have felt had we moved to a completely different neighborhood and a a lower income because we were middle class. So we we managed to stay in a middle class neighborhood. I think if we had moved to a lower class neighborhood, I probably already you know, feeling some kind of way because my parents got divorced. And, you know, when you're six, you don't know that it's not your fault. Sure, um, yeah. So I might have also now gotten into trouble and all kinds of other things because it's not the same kind of neighborhood. So I think she made the right decision. I don't, although, yes, as a kid, you'd love to have your own bedroom and things like that. But I think the stability being in the in the same neighborhood and staying in the school and all of that was better for me. Well, so many people take that for granted, right? Yes. Like, you know, of course you had your own bedroom growing up, right? People don't people don't think, uh-huh. you know, that uh, it probably doesn't even cross their mind that maybe you shared a, a bedroom with your mom until you were a teen. And yeah. then what, you know, what, uh, what happened uh, for you to stop sharing a bedroom? What ended up happening was my mom used to work for JCPenney in management. And okay. JCPenney, when I was, I want to say a junior, somewhere around that time, they decided they were moving the headquarters from New York, where I grew up, to Texas. Oh, wow. Right. And she went to visit and she was so-so about it. But I said to her, I really don't want to move for like my last year or two of school. I'd rather stay here. And she ended up getting into uh, the real estate industry and did pretty well so that we ended up renting a house Okay, and moved into um, a house where I ended up with my own bedroom and all that. And then eventually she was able to buy her own house. Okay. So she decided to pivot at that point and take control. I'm really liking your mom here. She's making great moves. (laughs) Mom, mom. Well, I think one of the things that comes into play my mom is an immigrant. Okay. So my... Where, from from where? Jamaica. So my mom came up here when she was 19. She said to me, look, I know what a hard life is. I grew up in Jamaica where things yeah, are, are a lot so, different right? and a lot harder. <laughs> my great-grandfather, his farm back in Jamaica, the bathroom was an outhouse. We went outside <laughs> to go to the bathroom, to the outhouse. So she's like, I, I know what hard times are. And so having grown up in Jamaica and then coming here, she understood the opportunities that she was being presented and, and said, one way or another, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this and I'm going to survive because I've already done worse. Is financially fierce a representation of your mom as, as well as yourself? Probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> or it's you. I mean, it, it's she helped you become this financially fierce person, right? Exactly. And I'm sure if we called her right now, she would go, no, it's all me. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop saying things about your mom that make me like her even more. Um, <laughs> so now you're, you're late teens and she was able to do well in real estate. Mm-hmm. And that's how you guys got a, a, a better place. Are you working now too? I was working part-time, you know, still going to school, but part-time just to, you know, have a few bucks in my pocket. Yeah, retail or something like that? Actually, no. Believe it or not, I have never had a retail job. I, I don't know how that Maybe turned the out. Maybe first, the right. first person on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that turned out. But yeah, I've never had a retail job now that I think about it. A friend of hers had his own real estate business 
Okay. And he had me come in and work for him part time doing administrative things. Ah, nice. Yeah, I was filing things away, you know, answer the phone, stuff like that. So my teenage job was actually working in an office. It started me early on understanding business. Were you able to look at uh, real estate contracts at all? And did they come across? No, but believe it or not, I'm a real estate investor also. <laughs> so okay, that, guess, no, that makes sense. Yeah, sense. right. Because I got introduced to it early. The understanding from, you know, watching my mom of, oh, you can make money yeah. from this. And, you know, when you start when you're a little kid and you get ripped out of your house and you see that money has had this impact, your brain starts to go, oh, I need to do whatever I can do to help me gain money. Because that helps with the stability of my life. So that that was kind of built in from that time, you think? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I recognized later on in life as I was getting older that I wanted stability. And I equaled being able to have money to help me have the stability. Well, it's not, it's not wrong. I no. Mean, it's not, it's not a hundred percent, you know, equal, of course, there's other no. things, but, but uh, money will buy you uh, stability and security. Yes. Yeah. And I think that was that was where a lot of it kicked in from, of watching what happened where the stability wasn't there at first and going, okay, I don't ever want to be there again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I know you had to go get student loans of some kind, which is, again, another spoiler. Right. But, I, but... <laughs> she helped with tuition some. Okay. Um, and this was another, I have a funny story besides the fight that I did about my student loans. But yes, I, she paid for tuition. I got grants and scholarships and then there mm-hmm. were some student loans. My dad paid for one semester of college only. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and that was by hook and crook, as they say. My first semester, I went to Villanova. And my first semester, my mom had paid her share. My dad had not paid his share. And the school basically said, it it must have been like late September, going into early October. And they were like, if you don't have the money by Friday, you're going to have to leave campus. And my dad kept saying, I mailed it, I mailed it, I mailed it. I never got the check. That Friday morning... My mom got up, drove to my dad's house at like 8.30 in the morning, snatched him out, made him put on a trench coat over his pajamas, and drove him to the bank and made him pull out cash and give her. Wow. And then she got in the car and drove from New York to Pennsylvania, two and a half hours to Villanova to bring the cash to school so that they would let me stay. So does your mom do podcasts too? <laughs> no, she died. No, she, she would be an interesting guest. Because <laughs> I'd love to have her right. on the show. What she, she said awesome to him, thing. she said, she is not leaving school because of you. But after that experience of almost getting kicked out my first semester, I decided yeah. never again. And that I decided I would rather take out more loans than to ask him for another dime. Yeah, relying on yeah, right. Because I mean, once again, remember, I want stability. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and huh. I'd rather pay the interest on the loans and have the stability than to keep going through the uncertainty of what is he going to do. And so, this is uh, undergrad. Yes. Um, what uh, What would you take in undergrad? Accounting. Accounting. 
Excellent. Clearly, I want to know how to handle my money. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, right? Right. And uh, and we'll talk about later how it, it really helps in personal finance too, yes. because I really like your your the way that you talk about that. Right. So you ended up getting an accounting degree. Yes, I did. But I also worked all through undergrad in addition to getting scholarships and loans. So not not retail, but. Uh, real estate? No, I didn't work in real estate, but I did have office positions. I actually worked for an accountant. Okay. So you were getting relevant experience. Yes. And then in the summers, when I came back to New York, I managed to get into a program for minorities called Inroads. Okay. And they tried to connect you, depending upon your major, with companies in your field. So I worked for American Express for three summers. Every wow. summer that I came home. Well, what were you doing there? I was in different departments each summer. So you got the full finance experience of yeah, the company. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, you're still a student. You're not, uh, you know, you don't have, well, you, you have student loan debt now. Yep. Uh, but how, well, how are you doing on the, and, and of course, we're we talking about your mom too. How was the consumer debt uh, looked at at this point? Credit cards. That was one of the things, unfortunately, my mom and I had never had much of a conversation about. I, see. I wish okay. we had, because yeah. I went to school during the time period where the credit card companies were on campus and enticing you with all these free things. Here's t-shirts and all kind of stuff. So, of course, I ended up signing up for two credit cards while I was in college. Yes. And how did that turn out for you? Not too good. <laughs> um well I, I ended up, you know, running them up a little bit and having to figure out how I was going to pay them off. And so it kind of scared me off of cards after a while. Because, you know, it wasn't like somebody fully sat me down and explained to me, hey, everything you charge, you have to pay for. No, there's all this interest that's going to accrue. And I never had yeah. the conversation. So no, so no one had that. Because, of course, you know, I look at you as very financially savvy. And then you're taking yes. an accounting degree, obviously. And your mom taught you lots of stuff. But... Never had that how credit cards work conversation. No. And I think I think she probably assumed because I was pretty smart and was taking yeah. accounting and all that. I totally think she valid. assumed that I knew. Yeah. I think that's why we never had a conversation about it. Yeah, it's funny. And of course obviously she never got into problems uh with it. Not not like she, you know, got into into problems where like she had to file bankruptcy, but she no. did carry at least early on, probably quite a bit of credit card debt, you know, cause that okay, was, so you, that you was one that. of the things she used to help, you know, keep us afloat for a little bit. Of course. Of course. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you were using this instead of, I guess maybe putting more on student loans or you just got enough student loans to cover school stuff. I had enough student loans to make sure, you know, whatever was left over from tuition and room and board and books and things. But I was using the credit card to, you know, eat sometimes yeah. and hang out yeah. with friends. And yeah. I had a car at school. So I'm putting gas in the car and, you know, things like that. You said you're in Philadelphia. Right, right outside of Philly. I mean, you were living there on campus? or Yes. And so you have to be able to drive home and things like that. Yeah, if I want to go back to New York. Yeah. Things, yeah. yeah. You're just getting your degree. You're getting your work experience. The debt is piling up, uh, as student loans do, right? Yes. <laughs> and now you're done, and you're... Was it, was it easy to get an accounting job afterwards or, like, from those internships? Um. 
yes. American Express offered me a job. I did okay. not go work for them, though. Okay. I was I was blessed to have um, a really good boss, and she kind of became a mentor. Nice. Um, and what she said to me made a lot of sense. She, um, my last summer working between junior and senior year, she said to me, although we're going to make you an offer, don't come work here. You really? should go, and it, I'll explain why. It made total yeah. sense what she said. She's like, you need to go work at a CPA firm okay. so that you can get your CPA license. Yeah. Part of the requirements for your CPA license is not just, oh, go pass the exam. At the time, and there, I don't know what the requirement is now, but at the time when I came out of uh, college back in 91, the requirement also was you needed two years worth of experience working under a CPA. So it was both the exam plus the two years of experience in order to get your CPA license. And she said the fastest and easiest way to make sure that you've got the two years and it meets whatever requirements are, you know, are, are listed is to go work for one of the big CPA firms. She says, and you're young, you do it, you do your two years, you do it early. And then you can go do whatever you want. Um, she says, if you come here, you're going to have a harder time because not everybody you work for may be a CPA. So it'll take longer to get. And right. That's what you want. You wanted to be a CPA. That was your yes. goal? Yes. Because of the security and stability that comes with that? The security, the stability, and it opens doors. Uh, the, the credentials would do yes. that, uh, a professional designation. Exactly. Absolutely. The good part was Villanova had a pretty robust um, on-campus process. So a lot of the big six accounting firms came and recruited on campus. So actually, in the fall semester of my senior year, I had already gone through interviewing during the fall, and I knew by January that I had a job. So my spring semester, I already knew Price Waterhouse had already made me an offer to work for them after I graduated. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's nice because then you kind of goof off a little bit your last <laughs> semester. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm not admitting to anything in particular, but you get to enjoy your last semester a little. <laughs> <laughs> so you work for PWC. Right. And at that time, they were still PW. <laughs> uh, I see. Yeah, so it's in my head. Yeah. So no, no Coopers yet. No. But so you, you did end up doing your your two years there. Yes. Uh, or more. I did two years at PW. And then, as most chartered accountants in Canada, CPAs now, it's all mm -hmm. CPAs now mm -hmm. in, in North America. They they do whatever they need to do and then go somewhere. Else. Exactly. <laughs> well, because <laughs> apparently it's like, it's like going to boot camp. You know, you're like, I'm in the army now. Okay. Let me do my time, and when my time is up, thanks, I'm gone. <laughs> well, ju jumping ahead, how similar is it to the, say, articling or, or summering experience as a lawyer? I did not come out of law school and do the big firm experience. Oh, I see, because you didn't have to? Well, no, I didn't have to, but I already knew having done the big accounting firm experience yeah, yeah. that I probably wouldn't like the big firm <laughs> okay. experience. For sure. Okay. So it's similar enough that you yes. knew you wouldn't want to do it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Cause that's, you only want to do that once, right? You give right. up your life. And, and I was uh, older, obviously by the time I went to yeah. law and came out that I was like, yeah, that's not going to work for me now. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one time was enough. <laughs> <laughs> so usually the benefit of working uh, crazy hours mm-hmm. and making money is that you don't have any time to spend it. Was that your experience? Yes and no. I think I did pretty good in terms of, you know, putting money into the 401k and all of that. I think there was one thing that I did do that I would not have done again if I okay. you know, had a time machine. When you go through some of, obviously, the things that I went through with, you know, my dad and him not helping and mm-hmm. all of that, you also at some point want to feel like you can afford to give yourself something. Sure. So of course. course I graduated and went on and bought a brand new car. Yeah. Well celebrate in a way, right? I mean Yeah, but you know, it wasn't like I went out and bought like a Toyota Camry. <laughs> <laughs> Which I drive now and I'm very yeah. happy with. Sure. But I went out and bought a brand new Acura Integra. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably not have done that again if I could you go me- back. You remember but- the sticker sticker price? No, I don't. Because we're talking back in, you know, 91. But, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but a lot. A lot. Yes. A lot Um, for the time, especially. Yes. But it was one of those where I kind of felt like, you know, I had endured so much, and I survived, and I managed to graduate, and I felt like I earned it. And it's very, technically, it's very common. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. To want to reward yourself, of course. It's an but I could have rewarded myself with, you know, a Honda Accord. Um, <laughs> or, or, or some ice cream or a cake. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, so that's, you know, I, I tell people, they, they assume that when you're an expert at something, yeah. that you never make a mistake. I know, right? Isn't that funny? I try to remind people that we're still human and we still have feelings and things of that nature. And so we do make (laughs) mistakes. Um, Yeah. And that was one of the ones that I made. Not just in the past. Like we still make mistakes actively, you know, they may not be as big and we're we're more educated now, but (laughs) still, no, we're not perfect. Even if we're trying to tell people, you know, how to not make mistakes of their own. Absolutely. So, okay, so you got this car, and uh, you're you're making payments, I guess. On yes. It. You get a, as everyone in the states likes to say, a, a car note. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, I only got to keep it. I ended up being out and working for two and a half, three years, and then starting law school. So I only okay, got to yeah. keep the car for five years, and then ended up in a car accident where a guy oh, totaled no. the car. Yeah. Oh, and then, uh, of course, uh, did insurance not cover it? Or? Yes. Yes, insurance covered it. It <laughs> it just happened at a really bad time. It happened during my last year of law school. Okay. Um, okay. So on the, I'm on the highway in New York, and a drunk driver ran into my car doing about 90. Oh, no. So when he did that, it was right around Thanksgiving. I ended up obviously missing the last part of the fall semester, taking all my finals late in January, starting the second semester, the final semester of law school late, because I was now also in physical therapy and all of this stuff from injuries from the accident. Okay. So it wasn't just the car. No, no. You were totaled. I was in the car and my parents were in the car. Oh no. Wow. Yes. I took the brunt of the hit because he ran into the back of the car and I was actually the one in the back seat. Okay. Oh, yeah. that sounds terrible. Yeah. So, so how long did it take for you to recover? I mean, I I was in physical therapy at least a year. Oh, wow. So, a lot of the right side of me took a lot of the hit. Um, 
so I ended up with injuries to my right shoulder, kind of along the right side of my neck, my right arm. So there's pictures like in my uh, law school yearbook with my arm in a sling. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you kept, you just kept going. Look, I had come too close. I was yeah, not. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I was, I was determined that I was graduating. Um, there, there was just, my brain could not comprehend doing a whole nother year. Well, just to step back for a sec, why, why law school? Since you already had accounting designation. Okay. So <laughs> the thing that exists about me is I get bored real quickly. So once I've kind of conquered something, I'm like, okay, what's next? And I had conquered, for the most part, accounting. I, yeah, there's, I could have gone higher, you know, and up yeah, the okay. chain, but the work for the most part wasn't really going to change, you know, yeah. in terms of the tie. And I was like, yeah, okay, I've conquered this. All right. You're just checking boxes instead of, or reviewing things instead of doing it. It's the same financial analysis. Yeah. Right. I didn't feel challenged anymore. No, that's totally fair. Totally fair. Right. And my mom had always said when I was a little kid, she always thought I would be a lawyer anyway, because she said, I always like to debate things. Yeah. <laughs> and I always found the loophole or the, the issue. So give you an example. I probably was eight or nine in the car and I'm in the back seat, and we're driving and I was just talking up a storm. And my mom was like, give it a rest. I don't want to hear another word from you for like the next five minutes. Just be quiet. Okay. So I shut up and I stopped talking. Problem was about three minutes later, she asked me, am I hungry? Do I want her to stop at McDonald's? Oh, I did not answer. She asked me again. I still don't answer. So now she's upset. Don't you hear me talking to you? Uh oh. And my response was, you told me not to talk for the next five minutes, so how can I answer your question? That's right. <laughs> and she was furious, but she recognized I was right, so she couldn't get mad at me because I was listening to what she told me. That's right. And she said, I knew that day. You know, because <laughs> you debate, argue, whatever, you know, and you've always found the little nuance of whatever was going on. Um, yeah. So it was not a surprise to her when I said I was going to law school. It's not something that's foreign to me. My wife's a pharmacist and is mm -hmm. in, in medical school. So mm -hmm. it, it's like the some people need to keep growing. Yes. And and uh, and changing, right? Yes. And you know, some of us do that in different ways, and just couldn't fathom going back to school. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> right. But, but which I'm sure was not easy and and uh, medical school is not easy either. Yeah. Bless her heart. Let me tell you, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> if medical school is anything like the experience of law school. I sympathize greatly with her. <laughs> yeah. Just add in add in living uh, patients. Uh, in right. I'm sure, I'm, which I'm sure you had, you know, mock situations with. Right. With uh, uh, legal uh, situations as well. Exactly. So you, okay, so this terrible accident happens to you in the last year. Okay, so let's go to how you're paying for all this. You you still have student loans, right? Or did you pay them off from before? No. So my student loans from undergrad 
word yeah. deferred while I was in law school. Uh, I, I hate these words, deferred and forbearance. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I know. They're the worst. <laughs> so they were, you know, I wasn't paying on them while I was in law school. And I obviously wasn't paying the law school ones yet either. But I still had my bills to pay because yep. I was not living at home at this point. I was living in my own apartment and all of that while I was going to law school. And the good part is because it was a car accident, the car insurance kicked in to cover. So okay, I okay. was working while I was in law school. So the car insurance kicked in to replace the income and covered medical and things of that nature. And then obviously, of course, I sued the other guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was going to ask about that. If I'm sure, did the person just go to, to prison uh, or... He, like, could you could, could you get any money? From yes, that? yes, I, we got money out of the law. Oh, okay, good. I um, was wondering if there was anything to get. Oh yes, right? yes. He, he his he was driving his sister's car and she had insurance. Oh, okay, okay, yes. that's good. Because I mean, the worst is when you know right. there's no reparations to be had. Exactly. Because of somebody who just what stole a car or something. Exactly. Right? No yeah, things the, like that. Okay. The car the car was his sister's, and she had insurance on the car. Okay. Well, there's some justice there. And, and yeah. of course, insurance companies have buckets of money. So right. that that is uh, nothing to worry about. So right. good. That's a, that's a, I mean, for what you you went through, it's a oh, tiny silver lining. Oh, but the story right? gets funnier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so while all of this has happened and I am trying to, you know, work my way through physical therapy and head towards graduation. Yeah. The apartment that I was living in was law school housing. They had a, yeah. had bought apartment buildings and stuff and then rented them to students. Okay. So it's my last year, right after finals, you then start the process of studying for the bar exam. Yeah. So finals is over in May. The bar exam is at the end of July. So basically you get half of May, all of June and all of July. You go to class, just focused on studying for the bar. Great. Great. Right before July 4th weekend, the school calls myself and my roommate in to say there is a problem and we have to move you out immediately. What? The engineers were doing work on your building and found out your building is not structurally sound. Excuse me? I'm taking the bar exam in three weeks. What are yeah. you talking about? It's going to collapse on you. Uh, this is what got tossed at me three weeks before the wow. bar. This was a year, I tell you. Um, oh, what a year. Yes. But I used those wonderful lawyer negotiating skills that they had taught <laughs> me those past three years and turned it around and used it on the school. Yeah. What did you do? <clears throat> so... I already knew I had to move out at the end of July when the bar exam was over because I would be done and then the next set of students could move in. Yeah. So I had an apartment lined up for August. Of course. I yeah. contacted them to find out, is there any way to get into the apartment earlier, which there was. The only problem was the apartment wasn't yet cleaned and all that because they weren't expecting me till August 1st. Yeah. I, of course, you know, put on the big tears and the, oh my God, I got to study for the bar and how am I supposed to deal with this? And by the time I was done, I had negotiated for the law school to pay for my movers, nice. pay for cleaning people to go clean the new apartment, <laughs> pay for the phone service to be transferred and provide me with all kind of boxes and things for packet, like everything that I could think of. 
Yeah. I tossed in there. And all I kept saying to them is, you don't want to be the reason that I failed this exam. Yeah, right? Because you could, I mean, I don't know if you could sue them oh, for I that. Oh, I would have. But... <laughs> <laughs> if I failed, you best believe I'd have blamed it on you. Um, wow, don't mess with law students. Right. And even if you're a law school, apparently. Look, I'm just using the skills they taught me. That's right. Oh, they messed up. Big time. Um, so I got them to do it for both me and my roommate. And then my mom, bless her heart, when I called her, because this must have been like July 2nd when I found this out. Yeah. She came over to my apartment and said, I will pack. You go to class. I, you need to go study. I will pack. Yeah. And she wow. packed up everything for me. And oh, mom. then when they moved me several days later, she came to my new apartment and unpacked. Because you're still having physical issues too, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's probably not easy. No, not easy. But also, you're in class all day because uh. you're in review for the bar exam. And then you're in your study group all evening. You're, yeah, no time, no time. All you're doing for you know 24 hours a day is eating, sleeping, and breathing the bar exam. So she was like, I need you focused on that. You need to go pass. <laughs> and so she came and uh, packed up and then unpacked. And because she was uh, still doing real estate, she yes. had a flexible schedule to yes. be able to do that. Exactly. Okay. And another another reason to take charge of your, your own life, right? Exactly. So you can get out of the nine to five so you can help your kid uh, uh, pack while they study for the bar exam. Exactly. And, and, as you know, obviously, I work for myself now, and there have been many, many times over the years where my husband and I have realized, thank God that I have been self-employed because it has allowed us to take care of things, you know, that would have been a lot harder if both of us had had jobs where we worked for somebody else. I mean, he does, yeah. but because I didn't, it definitely gave us the ability to solve problems and handle things in a way that would have been harder otherwise. Yeah, if at least one half of, of a couple yeah. uh, doesn't have to, you know, ask somebody for permission. Exactly. That's uh, that's a that's a huge benefit. Exactly. For sure. But yeah, I had to move in 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 a heartbeat. So I've had the accident in the fall of um, my last year of law school. Go to physical therapy all this time. Try to deal with catching up. And then graduate and start sitting for the bar only to find out I have to move. And what was, oh, I mean, you know, I think we know that you're a lawyer, so. Yes, I ended up passing. <laughs> it um, worked the out. The New York bar, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it did work out, but yeah, and, it was a uh, uh, mess. <laughs> yeah, so so you get through this mess. Now, you we know you didn't go to a, a big firm and you go through that process. So you're looking for a corporate job as a lawyer? No, actually. I knew that I eventually wanted to work for myself and okay. that the fastest way to get the experience, uh, courtroom experience and trial experience was to go work for like legal aid or public defender, or things of that nature. Of course. That's awesome. So I oh, went wow. to work for legal aid. Wow. No, I mean, I'm only knowing this from TV, but the paycheck is not great, right? No. Which, of course, my mom went, and how are you going to pay the bills? <laughs> <laughs> you're taking a job and you're coming out and you're going to have all these student loans and, you know, all this stuff. The reason I was able to do it, because I sat down and plotted it out in terms of okay. you know, what it meant financially. Yeah. At that time, my law school had a student loan repayment program where they helped students who made below a certain salary 
yeah. worked in certain kinds of positions, legal aid, public defender, those kind, because they were trying to encourage students into those areas. And so they were helping pay back a large part of my student loans each year. They were. They were actually contributing. Yes. Wow. Okay. And it only lasted as long as you stayed in the position. You know, of course. If I left legal aid and went to a corporate job, it would end. Yeah. So that was how I was like, oh, I can make this work. Absolutely. So look for the solutions, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Because if, if it wasn't for that program, then there would have been no way I could have gone and worked for legal aid. Now, how did you find out about that? Was it public knowledge? Did you have to look for it? or? The school gave out information about it. Okay. Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, they should, they should hide it, right? Yeah. Like, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, We're going to pay their student loans back. Right. But you know, actually, I think the reason the school emphasized it, Brooklyn Law School, where I went, had one of the highest concentration of like judges that oh, came out okay. of school. And many of them, you know, early in their careers had done things like that, you know, where they had done some public service and so on and so forth. So there was a big tie between the law school and the public defenders, prosecutors, judiciary. There, there was a lot of alumni yeah. in that field already. So I think that was one of the reasons they publicized that they were doing this, any any of the alumni that were interested. And then it might encourage donate more donations as yeah. well. I don't know if they still have it today, but I was glad they had no. it back then. <laughs> hey, whatever whatever encourages uh, you know people to get help uh, yeah. uh, who couldn't afford afford it otherwise, right? Right. That's uh, so. You did uh, legal aid for how long then? I was in at legal aid for about a year in New York, and then I decided I wanted to move out of New York. New York is just expensive, and especially yeah. if you're single. And my brain, you know, financially started running on the I'd like to buy a house. I want to start acquiring equity. You know, those kinds of things. And yep. I, I got to leave New York for that to happen. And so I decided to come down to the Maryland, D.C., Northern Virginia area because mm. I already had family and friends here. So I was already okay. coming back and forth and hanging out. It was, And I was like, it's someplace I already know how to get around. So I applied to Legal Aid down in Maryland okay. and got hired by Legal Aid in Maryland and worked for Legal Aid in Maryland for another for another year. So I did two years, one in New York and one in Maryland. And the deal still applies from the school? Yes. For, I'm still yeah. working in legal aid. I still was under the salary cap. It was good enough that when I got to Maryland, after being here for six months, I was able to buy my first house. Wow. But okay. remember, Maryland's cost of living was very different than New York's. So I had to explain, obviously, to the bank and provide all the paperwork to show that the school was helping pay for the student loans. Yeah, I guess you had to have proof of that. Right, because they're like, your income to debt ratio doesn't make sense. That's <laughs> right. Like, no, let me explain. Wait, before you deny me, wait. <laughs> yeah, well, what is, what is the debt at this point? What was the highest point of the student loans? The highest point between undergrad and law school probably was just under 100000 Because you had been paying some off uh, as a CPA, a I little bit. Off, you know, in between college and law school, obviously came out and getting paid off between me and the and the law school. But most of it was from law school. Yeah, of course. And law school is expensive anywhere. Yes. Like what was the outlook for, for paying this debt off? As long as you work for some kind of a, the, the position that qualified, they would help you pay. But 
you didn't see yourself doing this forever. No. I stayed long enough to get the house because I was like, I don't want yeah. to jump someplace and, and it'd be harder to get the house. I, I bought a little townhouse. Let me, let me be clear. When I bought my house, my first house in 2001, and I still own it. It's rented. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I've owned it all this time. It was a little three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath townhouse. It's just two levels, and I bought it for – $82,000. Wow. Okay. And I was able to get a steal on it because I purposely bought it during the winter. The woman had to move quickly because her job was transferring her. It needed some repairs and I got her to come down on the price. I said, don't worry about the repairs. I'll take care of them. And it, it probably doesn't take much income to qualify for $82,000. Right. And once I and could show that the school was helping pay the loans. Yeah, then they knew you could afford the cash flow. Right. Of, was it a full uh, mortgage? Were people doing that at that point? Did you it need was, a d deposit? It required only a small down payment and then financed 30 years for the rest. Okay, so 30-year amortization, small, like what, 5% or less? I'm trying to remember. What was the percentage at the time? Because I've refinanced it since then. Yeah, not, the... but not much. It, it... No, it wasn't it, eh, 5 or 6%. Yeah. So you bought a house you can afford. You could afford. Yep. You didn't buy too much house. That's pretty but clear. But let me tell you, the real estate agents will try to convince you. Yes. You can qualify for a lot more and want to show you a bigger house. And right. I had to be the one to put my foot down with the agent and go, no, I don't care what you think I can qualify for. This <laughs> is what I know I can actually afford. So you need to show me houses in these neighborhoods in this price range. Because, you know, not, what they don't yeah. add in, and I think a lot of people don't think about when they're buying a house, is there's more than just the mortgage payment. Yeah, that's right. People don't think about you've got insurance payments. Depending upon the type of apartment you lived in, if your utilities were included, you now have gas, electric, water. You have to do all the repairs. <clears throat> so if the roof leaks, if the furnace breaks down... If the house needs paint, whatever it is, it is now on you. Oh, I got to go buy a lawnmower because I got to cut the grass. There are all these extra things that you know people don't think about when they go to buy a house. And then they go, well, she said I could buy a house for 200000 Well, maybe you should have bought a $100,000 house so you could also now have room for the maintenance and upkeep. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't have that conversation. No. Not everybody's as financially fierce as you right. to be able to put your, your feet down right. and tell them so they get bamboozled, right? Yes. But you were able to get some asset. Yep. Uh, now you're starting to build wealth, mm -hmm. but you still have this debt. And I, I feel like we need to... Uh, we need to get to the uh, uh, how the, the fight uh, <laughs> was taken care of. Yeah, because I don't want to. I don't want to uh, end without talking about that. Gotcha. So I, I, yeah, let's jump to that. Sure, absolutely. So over the years, obviously, the student loan debt is getting knocked out. So my my loans are in two piles: the pile that's from undergrad and the pile from law school. Yeah. So the pile from undergrad, I'm just about finish paying off. And I'm like, wonderful. I'm done. So all that will be left will be the law school ones. And believing that everything was fine. And, you know, the, the student loan company is telling me that I'm done with the undergrad ones. I couldn't understand why the student loan company starts calling me. 
And I'm thinking, mm. well, they must be calling about the law school loans. Yeah. So when they call, they kept asking me to verify who I was. And I kept saying, you called me. I am not giving you my personal information over the phone because I can't verify that you are who you say you are. You That's call right. me, so you must know who I am. <laughs> you first. Right. Well, they would not talk to me about whatever it was they were calling me about if I would not verify who I was. Wow. So I said, well, send me a letter. And I hung up the phone. And yeah. this kept going on almost every day where they would call and we'd go through the song and dance. And I was like, just send me a letter for whatever the problem is. Well, it went from one call a day to ultimately eight to 10 calls a day. Wow. And I was going, you guys can't possibly be trying to collect something. I don't, I don't get this, but the mistake that they made was they did not understand that I had subsequently left practicing legal aid and eventually ended up opening my own practice where all the kind of work I was doing was around consumer protection and personal finance issues. <laughs> so yeah. I knew all the law of how this was supposed to go. They never sent me a letter. So I let them keep calling because I said, you know what? Y'all are going to pay for harassing me. There's no reason for you guys to be calling me eight to ten times a day. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So I let it go on for about two months. My poor husband was so annoyed at first until <laughs> I started to say to him, every time the phone rings, just go cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yes. So he was you like. Knew, you knew you could get something out of these people. Right. So he said, okay. He said, because this is ridiculous. I eventually hired a friend of mine from another state who did the same kind of work that I did to represent me. Because any lawyer that represents yeah. themselves is a fool. We took <laughs> on, <laughs> we sued my student loan company for harassment wow. and violating debt collection laws. Turns Amazing. out the reason they were contacting me was even though I'd paid off the loan there may have been a couple of times where maybe it was late or something. And so there was $75 in like charges, late fees or whatever, still outstanding. And that's what they were calling me eight to 10 times a day, about 75 stupid dollars. And they couldn't send you a letter. They, they, would, they, they wouldn't send you a letter. They never sent me a letter. <sighs> so... In order to settle the lawsuit, I said to them, so you know those student loans that I still have with you guys? <laughs> Wipe them out. You'd ask them to do that? Yes. Well, my attorney did technically, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But through your attorney. Yes. I was like, wipe out the loans and pay for my attorney's fees. I don't want to ever have to talk to you guys again. And they wiped out the loans and paid my attorney's <laughs> fees. <laughs> and um, oh, come on. And how much How much was it? So between my loans, paying for my attorney and paying for their attorney, they probably kicked out at least $80,000 oh, for $75. $75. Cost them $80,000. Now, I imagine they probably changed their processes. After <laughs> I would hope they did. But you know what? Probably not. Yeah, maybe not, say, eh? The one thing I learned when I was doing litigation, when I was still practicing, is many times a lot of the financial companies, unless it's, you know, one of these big class actions where they're hit with like multi, multi, multi million dollar lawsuits, most of the time the lawsuits do not change their practices. I've had executives tell me under oath, 
it's cheaper to deal with the lawsuits because they'll say to change, let's say a computer system. Oh, it'll cost us, you know, a hundred million dollars to swap out the computer system. So it's yeah. cheaper to just deal with the lawsuits. Just, you know, 80 grand here yeah. and there. <laughs> and that's terrible because you're affecting people's lives. But yeah, that, so I, I can, I would be surprised if they changed the process. Well, that is amazing. Uh, what an amazing win for you. Yes. After, especially after the, we'll call it the year of hell. Right, went right. <laughs> at the end of law school. Mm-hmm. It's like total redemption. And so, yeah, I, I, I hate to fast forward through so many things because oh, you have okay. such great stuff to talk about. I, you know, I mean, the, the, the main thing that I want to highlight on this show is, is your early experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we, we touched a lot of that, but uh, just to, to quickly run through, obviously, so you finished at Legal Aid and you got your, you started working and representing people in the personal finance and consumer space, you said. Yes. And then, um, then you got the student loans done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and did you? And you keep? Uh, then now you have uh, cash flow freed up. Obviously. Yes. Um, you start doing more real estate investing then. I well, my husband and I did start buying other properties, so we own okay. more than one real estate investment. We have at this point three, currently. Okay, amazing. Yes, my house from way back when, because when we got married, he had a house, so we moved into his house and rented mine, and then we bought two more, and we're probably going to do some repairs to the one we live in and move out of it and rent it and buy something else. Okay, yeah, great. This is the path to wealth. It is one of the paths. Yes. To wealth, right? Yes. And so I'm sure you recommend various ways now that you're... So when did you start your company? And... I I stopped practicing law in 2016, but I had started okay. Financially Fierce in 2012. So they overlapped at first Okay. Um, because I knew back in 2011, 2012 that I wanted to stop practicing and that it would take some time. Yeah, I had cases yeah. and trials that I couldn't just sure, drop, sure. so I knew I had to kind of run through them. So I started in 2012. I went full-time with Financially Fierce in 2016. And what what is the goal, or what was your original goal, and what is it now for Financially Fierce? When I first started, I thought I would kind of focus on doing kind of, you know, individual coaching and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was... One of the reasons I wanted to stop practicing law was I kind of was already burnt out on one-to-one because I had all these individual clients practicing law. And then I really wanted to find a way to do more of a one-to-many impact. And I wanted to be able to do something that would help be proactive because practicing law is reactive. And so um, I moved away from doing one-on-one coaching to doing work with companies where I'm going in okay. and doing works with groups of employees. Amazing. So yes. you go into companies um, all over the States? Yes. And I do work with them on more than just personal finance. So um, I should make that clear. Financially Fierce has more than one service it, it offers. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, what are they? I go in and can do financial wellness if Mm, that's what's wanted. Sometimes I'm going in to work with um, managers on business finance because, you know, a lot of times managers get promoted because they're good at whatever they did, you know, IT, HR, but they don't have a finance background. So 
that part of their new job they don't have any knowledge about. They don't know how to make a budget. Right. Yeah. So sometimes it's that. And then sometimes I'm going in and doing training with employees on negotiation and critical thinking skills. Because clearly I did a lot of that practicing <laughs> law. Uh, <laughs> well, you're using all of your skill sets, yes. right? I mean, and of course, uh, the, do you still get to keep your designations and stuff? How does it work yes, that way? Yes, I still, as long as I um, pay my yearly dues and do the, yeah. the CLEs and the, you know continuing education, I can yeah. keep my CPA and attorney designations. I just don't, you know, practice the law. Unless absolutely, you know, unless a family member calls and go, I got a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're, you have so much knowledge and experience to mm -hmm. share. I mean, the, of course, the companies could hire you for all the different things you could do. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good point. Like a lot of, a lot of people are in managerial operational roles mm -hmm. and they don't know how to do the numbers part of it. Not at all. They know how to run it. They might know how to manage the people even. Right. But there's always numbers associated. You always got to prove your budget and, and yep. uh, you know, try to meet the exactly. <laughs> the projections or, uh, or lose your money, right? Lose exactly. your funding. And I realized I didn't want to not offer all of my skills. I figured yeah. I could do a business with all of my skills. And then, like I said, I, I already recognized there are lots of other personal finance experts who exist rightfully so, and that there were plenty of them who could do the coaching and the blogging and things of that nature. And yeah. I kind of also burnt out on writing. I had done sure. so much of it as a lawyer that I was like, I cannot see me trying to write a blog every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, at the point, like if somebody handed me a pen, I might hurt them, you know? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I need to do something that's not going to require that amount of work, one-on-one -on -one and or writing work. Um, so I was lucky and able to figure out how to kind of get into this. Well, that's the best part about hitting the next part of our, our career or our work uh, work life is that you can craft it the way that you want. Yes. And yes. that's probably the, the most important part of, of going out on your own is you can't do it from the beginning, right? You can't right. do it right away. You don't even know. You don't even know how it works. <laughs> you don't know how any of it works. But once you once you go through all of it, you're like, okay, yeah, not doing the paperwork. Uh, you know, I want to go and yeah. have impact for a lot of people. Right. One on one doesn't work. You know, I want to have my own uh, time and, yep. and uh, you know set my own schedule. Yeah, no, and and then you can take all of this stuff and apply it to personal finance and teach yep. people in a in a way that a, a CPA slash lawyer uh, can think. In personal experience. In personal experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And tell your tell your stories of your triumph, right? Right, and 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 uh, be an advocate, and right. uh, you know, because you were that advocate, you right? Know, uh, literally. Well, right. actually, you know, it's funny because I just did one uh, presentation the other day for IFC at the World Bank, and I was talking to um, their women's network, and I did a whole presentation on here's why taking control of your finances is important for your career. And mm. it was funny because they all looked at me like, there's a connection. And I went, yes, <laughs> let me tell you the connection. And I went through like five or six different ways where if you have control of your finances, here are the things you can do when it comes to your career. And, yes. you know, like it was interesting to watch the light bulbs go off when I talked about you could decide you want to switch 
careers. I want to go yeah. be a teacher now. Or you could decide, you know what? They're treating me really poorly and abusing me here. I can leave. Or right. you could decide you want to leave and go be an entrepreneur. Or you decide you want to stay and move in management, but you've got a leg up because you understand the numbers. And it was so it was interesting to watch the light bulb go off where people were like, I never really saw the tie between the two. I go, yeah, think about we've all had a job at one point where we were handcuffed to that job because we were going, mm -hmm. I need this salary and it's going to be hard to find another job paying me the same amount. And it's all yeah. because we had got ourselves into heavy debt and bought too big of a house or too expensive a car. Now you can't change jobs because you're handcuffed by your personal finances. Yeah, financial freedom yeah. is, is so it's leverage. It's yes. A tremendous amount of leverage. And also uh, it makes everything that you do less risky. Yep. And that's, you know, so you can take a chance, which may or may not be a good idea if you have tons of student debt or a bunch of mortgages and, and three kids, right. you know, that kind of thing. But if you uh, have control and maybe you even have basic financial independence, right. you, you might be just fine. Take your chance, right? Well, that's why I was able to go out on my own when I wanted to start my own law firm and start financially fierce because my husband and I live in a small house. And, you know, when everybody was buying up bigger houses in the boom and people were like, aren't you guys going to trade up? And I was like, for what? Yeah. Why? I right. don't need it. I'm not trying to clean a bigger house. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to heat a bigger house. Yeah. I don't have kids. I don't need the space. And it was interesting to watch how many people lost their homes when the bubble burst. Of course. And there were a couple of friends that I talked out of trading up who came to me later and were like, oh, my God, thank God you talked us out of it. You don't know what the future holds. Yeah. I said, I don't have anybody to impress. So if somebody doesn't like my small house, they don't have to come by. And people and people think that there's no downside to, to upsizing, but you just mentioned it. Yep. When things crash, they crash harder. Yes. They crash real hard. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have to end it there. I really enjoyed this and I'm sure we could do another episode in the future. So Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that because yeah, there's, we could just talk about all the things that you now teach today from your experience. You know, now that we've you know figured out how you got to where you are today, I think that's definitely a valuable episode. So I, let's just, let's, let's definitely plan that Absolutely. for the future. Absolutely. And I will see you because it's in your basically backyard. That's right. At FinCon. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And I'm actually going to stay at the hotel. Oh, you okay? Of course. Just to take the whole experience. In, yeah. Right? I don't want to drive back and forth every day. <laughs> you, well, have yet, so you have yet yeah. to experience DC traffic. So. Well, I'm yeah, I, I have because I visited my cousin on the way back from Orlando last mm -hmm. year. Uh, it was terrible. Yes. Uh, but just to get in because he's right on the border of Maryland uh, mm -hmm. and DC. And so we're just going to stay there and I'm taking the subway uh, into, gotcha. to downtown. So yeah, that's I'm the not, way I'm getting to conference. I am not near one of the metro stations so gotcha. i would have to drive to the metro fight that traffic to get to the metro and i was like never mind hey that's smart and it's worth it everyone says it's always worth to stay in the, yeah. in the hotel the conference hotel yeah you know for networking and just being able to go and crash you know right and, <laughs> and also get up to early. remind my husband why he misses me that's right. We all need that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I Amazing. thank you so much for the opportunity to do this today. I had a great time. 
And that was episode 90 with Sonia Smith-Valentine. If you like the podcast and want to see me get to episode 100 and beyond, please support the podcast by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. It's only a few bucks a week, but if enough people do it, it starts to add up. Head over to patreon.com slash bowhumphreys if you're interested. I am now offering free 15-minute personal finance consultations online. I'm a personal finance coach, so if you're looking for someone to help you get organized, head over to bowhumphreys.com and click on the banner to book a free 15-minute personal finance consultation. That's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the author of the best-selling personal finance book, Wealthing Like Rabbits, Robert Brown. <laughs>